Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're with us on the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, crazy martinis for you today. Man, just a few weeks left until the presidential election. Debate is tomorrow night. We're brought to you by Gabby. Right now, by taking just a couple of minutes, you can find out how much you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance, gabby.com slash martini. More on them in a little bit. Jim, this is going to be a very symmetrical three martini lunch today. We're going to begin with the Supreme Court nomination. We're going to end with the Supreme Court nomination with a little tax talk uh, put in between, just so folks know where we're going here. But let's start with the unadulterated good martini. We knew it was coming. We kind of knew this was coming from the moment we knew there was a Supreme Court vacancy following the death of Justice Ginsburg. But Saturday, it became official. President Trump on the South Lawn and the Rose Garden nominating federal appeals court judge Amy Coney Barrett for the U.S. Supreme Court. Amy Coney Barrett will decide cases based on the text of the Constitution as written. As Amy has said, being a judge takes courage. You are not there to decide cases as you may prefer. You are there to do your duty and to follow the law wherever it may take you. That is exactly what Judge Barrett will do on the U.S. Supreme Court. This is a pick that has conservatives pretty much everywhere really excited. You see folks uh, on Twitter and elsewhere who uh, are, are conservatives who want nothing to do with Trump. They love this pick. The, the conservatives who love Trump love this pick. I don't know anybody on the right who doesn't like it. And as we'll, as we'll talk about a little bit later, the people that don't like it really don't have a good reason. So great pick uh, on this particular nomination. Yeah, and I think one of the aspects of this particular nomination of Amy Coney Barrett is that because she was kind of one of the finalists for the last time uh, when Trump selected Brett Kavanaugh, there was almost like a dress rehearsal for the fights that we're going to have over the next couple of weeks over this confirmation battle. Um, also, you saw a little bit of this in her confirmation to the, uh, the circuit court, the, you know, uh, Diane Feinstein infamously saying, the dogma lives loudly within you. Uh, it's almost like people have already kind of already rehearsed their parts. Uh, they know their lines. Everybody's kind of ready to go on with the show. And I'll talk a little bit more about the confirmation battle in our crazy martini, but, um, you know, everything you'd want to see in a judge and a potential nominee. Uh, I'm hearing people scoffing that she doesn't have enough experience. She's got the same amount of experience as Kagan had. Um, I think the announcement was just pitch perfect. Uh, the poise was terrific. Um, you know, we've seen, already seen some people pointing out, oh my goodness, she's got, you know, seven children and some of them are adopted from Africa. Clearly something sinister is going on there. You know, it was, um, this is Trump at his best. I thought her remarks were, were appropriate. I thought the tribute to Ruth Bader Ginsburg was uh, the right note to begin with. Um, you mentioned Scalia and, and, you know, being her mentor. I even thought the line, I'm used to being a group of, part of a group of nine in my, you know, my thinking of my family. You know, it just was everything. This could not have gone any better for the administration or for Trump. In all likelihood, this is going to, uh, I don't know if I want to say sail through. Um, you know, look, we, there's always a possibility of some new revelation or something. But uh, I think, you know, there's, there's so far nothing for any Republican senator to say no. And probably it's going to make tough life tough for Democratic senators who are going to have to go back and say, well, I just don't agree with her philosophy. Um, the other name we'd seen mentioned for this was Barbara Lagoa. Barbara Lagoa would have been a fine selection as well. 
But I just think there were so many people who were kind of leaning forward in their chair and getting ready to run to the ramparts to defend Amy Coney Barrett that if, if Trump had selected Lagoa, you might have seen a little bit of disappointment. I don't think there'd be significant political fallout from this, uh, but I just feel like there are a whole bunch of people, particularly a group of, uh, you know, uh, both conservative legal minds and other groups, folks who have seen Barrett as one of theirs in terms of both legal philosophy and in terms of her open uh, faith and family and, and all the other stuff. Um, you know, they see her as one of theirs. And when she gets attacked, they feel attacked. So in some ways, I think this is kind of the fight that, uh, that a lot of folks wanted to see almost last time. The Kavanaugh nomination took things in a very different direction. And I think... Um, you know, if you want to see a conservative or originalist or strict constructionist majority on the Supreme Court, this is exactly what you want to see. You said it exactly right on a number of fronts. First of all, it's the, it's the type of judge, both in terms of judicial philosophy and temperament that we want to see. She mentioned that it's what the law says, not your own personal opinion. And, and you know, folks are going to say from the left, of course, well, that's not true. They're just as ideological. And uh, in some cases, I guess that could be right. But the Constitution is an inherently conservative document. It wants limited government. And so it generally tries to, to strangle government uh, expansion. And the left doesn't like that. The right generally does. And so if that's ideology, then, then you can blame the founders, I guess. But uh, Jim will have plenty more to say on that But uh, in the third martini, but uh, a very good choice. Uh, everybody's ready to go, like you said, from the appellate court fight to the possibility of her being chosen in 2018. And I think just about everybody was getting all their stuff ready over the past week uh, in anticipation of this. So that should expedite everybody's preparation. And we'll see what kind of circus the Democrats bring to the Senate Judiciary Committee. But we can talk about that in the crazy martini. But first, uh, speaking of limiting government, limited government means lower taxes and uh, spending less money, whether it's the government or yourself is always a good thing. And that's where Gabby can be a very good thing. Because when you've had the same car insurance or homeowners insurance for years, you get trapped into paying your premiums and not really thinking about it. You know, you set the the policy in place, you figure you got a good deal then, what's really changed? Well, things could have changed, particularly if you've actually had to act on that insurance, if you've had weather damage to your, to your property or you've had an accident with your car, that stuff can change and you might get a really uh, much better rate with someone else given the fact that things have changed over time. So it can be really easy to overpay and not even realize it. Stop overpaying for car and homeowner's insurance and see about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have, thanks to Gabby. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers. You just link your current insurance, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you already have. Just link your current insurance account, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. And if they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing you have the best rate that's out there. And they will never sell your information, so no more annoying spam or robocalls. And so often you hear some outfit say, hey, check it out, compare the rates, it's easy. And then it becomes a real mess, a real headache, you're there forever and you feel like you're giving away all your private information and you don't even know if you're gonna use these people. Well, it's not like that with Gabby because first of all, they protect your information. So the personal information that you do enter, you know it's not going anywhere else like Jim just said. And uh, secondly, it really is that easy. It only takes a couple of minutes, you plug in information you already know and you link to your current policy 
and then Gabby does all the work for you. Within a couple of minutes, you know whether it's time to make a change with your insurance carrier or not. So remember, it's totally free to check your rate. There's no obligation to do anything once you've seen the comparisons. Just take a few minutes right now and stop overpaying on your car and home insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's Gabby.com slash martini. Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. All right, Jim, more Supreme Court analysis in just a little bit. Let's talk about taxes. I think everybody knows where we're going with this. Uh, President Trump's taxes, the focus of a major New York Times piece over the weekend. I guess it ran in today's paper, but it uh, certainly got publicized on social media and elsewhere yesterday. And the conclusions are that he hasn't, didn't pay federal taxes 10 out of the past 15 years, largely because of massive losses. A couple other times, he only paid $750. In addition to the massive losses, there was some creative accounting uh, so he could deduct things and not have to pay taxes as much as he might have otherwise needed to. Uh, some folks are saying this is old news. The New York Times did this four years ago, in fact. Others are pointing out that, uh, well, this just proves that Trump is not the business genius that uh, he always was. And still others are pointing out that this may or may not change many minds. Uh, if you love Trump, it probably won't. If you hate Trump, it probably won't. So, Jim, what's the overall impact here? Yeah, this is a bad martini for, for several reasons. And the first is, like, I think this is bad news for the president. But I also feel like everyone is responding to it negatively for the wrong reasons. The New York Times article basically tries to make two concurrent points. First, oh my goodness, can you believe how little President Trump has paid in taxes? And yes, the fact that he paid $750 in 2016 and in 2017 is indeed very surprising. But the reason for that is the second part of the story, which is, oh my goodness, can you believe that President Donald Trump lost so much money in his businesses in those or in a couple of years ago? And that's, yeah, that's bad, but that's really bad for him. That's not really bad for the rest of the country. And clearly he's managed to end up on his feet. Um, it was odd because the New York Times ran, I don't want to say a version of the same story, but back in 2016, they managed to get Trump's tax return for 1995. That year, um, back in both the 80s, late 80s and 90s, Trump had had a whole bunch of businesses go bad. All the Atlantic City casinos, um, we talk about here, people joking about Trump steaks, Trump bottled waters, the Trump airline, the, uh, the, he owned the New Jersey generals and the, the U S football league. Um, there were a whole bunch of signs. You know, Trump's had a lot of business failures in his life. Trump doesn't like talking about them. Trump wants you to believe that he's got one phenomenal success after another. And anybody who pays attention can look over Atlantic city and say, Hey, the Trump Taj Mahal isn't there anymore. He hasn't had enormous you know, endless successes. He's had some big failures. And in the year 1995, he lost $916 million, like almost a billion. The thing is, is that when you lose a lot of money, the government cannot tax you because you don't have that income. You don't have that investment income coming in. So you're allowed to take that as a loss. And you're generally allowed to take that as you're allowed to prorate it ahead of year by year because most years you just don't have that much, you know, if you're paying in taxes in a year. Um, just based on that one year for 1995, tax experts looked at it and said, wow, well, taking a loss like that would offset any taxes Trump would owe on about $50 million a year for 18 years, right? So you're like, oh, why is Trump not having to pay these taxes? Because he's had really huge losses. Now, is this, uh, you know, this is bad for him, but in the end, it's not really uh, that much of an issue. By the way, we should also preface this way further. Whoever released these taxes violated federal law or whoever released these, these tax returns. These are, you know, like it has, yes, it's traditional for the president to release them, but the president himself chooses to release them. 
presidential candidates choose to release them. Nobody at the IRS or at some prosecutor's office or any other place is allowed to release your tax returns without permission. And whoever did this violated U.S. law. It is pen up, can be penalized up to five years in prison. It, it doesn't matter how much you hate Donald Trump. It is not okay to do this. It is not okay to abuse your authority because you've decided you really want to get somebody. If they can do this to Donald Trump, they can do this to anybody. Um, now, here's the thing. Where I, where I think a really fair criticism to be made is that on the campaign trail back in 2015, Donald Trump quite a few times was telling people uh, hedge fund managers were getting away with something, that this was something fundamentally unfair. Quote, the hedge fund guys didn't build this country. These are guys that shift paper around and they get lucky. They're energetic. They're very smart. But a lot of them, they're paper pushers. They make a fortune. They pay no tax. It's ridiculous, okay? Uh, then later on, he says, you know, the hedge fund guys won't like me as much as they like me now. I know them all, but they'll pay more. I know people that are making a tremendous amount of money and paying virtually no tax, and I think it's unfair. Um, by the way, the tax reform of 2017 did not end the uh, uh, separate treatment of hedge funds as treating that as their uh, investment income instead of as, as you know, payment income or salaried income. Look, you know, Trump really, you know, had no problem beating the populist drum on rich people who are following the letter of the law but not paying much taxes on their massive amounts of income. Well, goose meet gander. Here we are again. It's, it's, it's very, very similar situations. And the argument that, you know, people who are bashing, you know, Trump over this story need to point out one, as far as we can tell, everything he did there is legal. A little bit of stuff about, you know, he uh, paid Ivanka Trump's company as a consulting fee, that does smell a little bit like an effort to work around the gift tax, um, but that's still not, uh, you know, you figure the IRS would have either audited it, would have, you know, brought up charges if they found any discernible slam dunk cases of fraud. The hypocrisy angle strikes me as much fairer and much more valid based upon what Donald Trump was saying about hedge funds back then. Hedge fund managers were applying the exact same philosophy and approach that Donald Trump's accountants and Donald Trump's lawyers were applying to his taxes back then. Um, but as for that, you know, everything else in this report is that the president, you know, used every legal loophole that he could to minimize his tax debt. And oh, by the way, the reason he was able to do that is because he had massive, massive business losses. And this might hurt the president's ego a little bit, but this is not illegal. This is not. Oh, and the other significant point is they said they found no connections to Russia. Will this show up in Joe Biden attack ads? Sure. They're going to say, can you believe Donald Trump? only paid $750 and isn't this terrible? Didn't you pay more of it? Yeah, it's going to do that. And it's probably going to hurt, you know, if, if there are people, blue collar workers and, you know, those upper Midwestern states like Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, uh, if, if they're wavering, maybe this could end up influencing them. But I have a suspicion, Greg, that everybody's already made up their minds about what they think about Donald Trump. I also say, and this is the thing you and I talked about uh, in the 2017 tax legislation, it was supposed to, in addition to be cutting tax rates about to be about tax simplification, uh, that didn't really happen, and it needs to, because if you uh, are really upset about how people, especially when they have losses, but even sometimes when they don't have losses, you see major corporations not necessarily having to pay a lot, and you say, oh, look at all these loopholes. Okay, we'll deal with the loopholes. The, the, you know, make it so yeah, there are- By the way, Greg, if, if the law says you can do this, it's not really a loophole. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Right? I mean, you know, it, here's the, you know, if someone has $10 million at the start of the year and they make a whole bunch of terrible investments and at the end of the year they have $5 million, what income came in that should be taxed? There's none because it all went away because they lost. That's, right. you know, that is what is at stake here. And I think there's some people who just kind of believe that, well, if you're rich, you should pay a lot of taxes every single year regardless of whether you made any money that year. That's not the way the tax system works. And if Joe Biden wants to say, 
we're going to tax you based on your net worth, regardless of whether you had any income that year. He's welcome to do that. But remember, he's, remember he's also insisting he's never going to raise taxes on anybody making more than $400,000 a year. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We've heard that one before from Democratic presidential candidates. And uh, Jim, we lost again, by the way. Joe Biden called the lid before we recorded. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter, host of the Sarah Carter Podcast. Everywhere you look these days, we're seeing an aggressive effort to destroy what made America great, tearing down our history, attacking our freedoms, and canceling any person who dares to cross the progressive speech police. We cannot stand by and let this happen. It's time for the silent majority to become the unsilent majority. Join me on the Sarah Carter Podcast. Subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And as we foreshadowed, it's about the left's reaction to the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, We talked last week about the handmade uh, stories from Reuters and others, which didn't even get the right group uh, affiliated with Amy Coney Barrett and her husband. And uh, even before she was officially announced on Saturday, Jim, the ugly and stupid knives were out from the left. Uh, Vanessa Gregoriadis, which I am sad to say I'm pretty sure is Greek, uh, she writes for the New York Times Magazine and others, had this little delightful screed on Twitter. I guess one of the things I don't understand about Amy Coney Barrett is how a potential Supreme Court justice can also be a loving present mom to seven kids. Is this like the Kardashians stuffing nannies in the closet and pretending they've drawn their own baths for their kids? And if there aren't enough hours in the day... For her to work and mother those kids when she portrays herself as a home-centered Catholic who puts family over career, isn't she telling a lie? And then, uh, if that wasn't crazy enough, she says she's scared of Amy Coney Barrett's eyes. Uh, so, so that, oh no, that does, it gets uglier than that. Uh, you mentioned in, the, in passing that she has two adopted uh, children, one boy and one girl out of the seven kids, uh, adopted from Haiti. And because they're Haitians, you might guess that they're black. And so that's a problem for some people. You had one person out there saying they really want to know what adoption agency they use because they really want to dig into this. And then you have this guy who's considered one of the leading leftist figures on race and critical race theory and everything. His name's Ibram Kendi. He says, some white colonizers adopted black children. They civilized these savage children in the superior ways of white people while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. So if you adopt uh, children of a different race, that apparently is additional evidence or uh, that you're racist, or at least it's evidence according to him that you're not not racist. So um, anyway, uh, what's, what seems to be the case now, Jim, is that voices on the left like uh, Pelosi and Biden and Schumer have decided that because there's a Supreme Court case in November about the Affordable Care Act, that Amy Coney Barrett is definitely going to be a vote to scrap the entire thing. And therefore, any senator who votes to confirm her is voting to take away coverage for pre-existing conditions. So health care is going to be the big argument here, it looks like. Yeah, which, I, look, I suppose if you're the Democrats, that's probably the much better angle than She's adopted children from Africa. Isn't that suspicious? Or, you know, she's going to bring about the Handmaid's Tale or, or any of these other criticisms. But let me, let me, I tried to walk through this in the jolt. Look, right now there are 53 Republican votes in the Senate. Susan Collins has said she does not support considering a nominee before the election and that she, you know, from this has kind of indicated she will vote no, although it's certainly not a guarantee, but uh, she seems to think, you know, any consideration before the election is a bad idea. Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski said, I do not support this process moving forward. 
Now, having said that, this process is moving forward with or without me and basically said she, you know, left the door open that it's conceivable she could vote for the nominee. Well, let's assume Murkowski votes no. That gives you 51 votes. At this point, I would assume no Democrats vote yes. The only one who voted for uh, Kavanaugh was uh, Manchin. He was only a few months away from uh, uh, his Senate election. So I think my suspicion is, is that, you know, that may have been a factor in his coming around. You also probably remember that uh, Manchin decided that he was in, going to vote for Kavanaugh. Was it 30 seconds after Susan Collins stopped speaking? <laughs> it was, you know. Clearly, that, uh, that profile and courage, as soon as he wasn't needed, he was proud to be that 51st vote there. Uh, and I believe the vote was like 51-48 or something like that, right? So my guess is you're going to see something very similar uh, with a Amy Coney Barrett. I suppose a Mitt Romney type could come out and say, oh, I oppose this nomination, but I wouldn't count on it. Uh, Lamar, there are other Republicans who will not vote with their party every now and then. But not only do they think, you know, do they see the stakes, I just don't think they're going to find any of the Democratic's arguments. Look out, she wants to impose theocracy, all that persuasive. And so you'd find yourself with this. So here's, if you're a Democrat, you really don't, barring some revelation, right, until you find something about Amy Coney Barrett that is so shocking that even good, even the Cory Gardeners of the world will say, oh, I can't vote for this person. You're, you're probably going to lose this vote. So here's the question. Is it more important to you to, to you know, make up kind of the picket's charge up against this nomination when you know there's no way you're getting to fit? Because remember, even if it's a 50-50 tie, Mike Pence comes in and breaks the tie. So really, if you're a Democrat and you want to block this nomination, you need 51 no votes. And you're, you know, you might, you're, it started at 47. You might get Collins. You might get Murkowski. That gets you to 49. And then it's really tough. Then you got to, you know, it's just not easy to find those other remaining votes. So here's the question. Do you want to fight this battle that you're almost certain to lose and in the process look like a bunch of maniacs who hate Catholics, who hate working mothers, who hate adoptive parents, um, who, who, you know, worry, have this ludicrous sexist double standard of, well, we can put her on the court, but can she really take care of her children? You know, like anybody that ever asked that about any male Supreme Court justices. Um, that, that basically the Democrats are, are, there's this, you just see the bear trap. It's right there. And the bait is right there. And the question is, are the Democrats going to take the bait? And so far it looks like they are. And you know, what, what Trump and Republicans desperately want between now and November is some other, the dogma lives loudly within you type moment. They want the Democrats to look like a bunch of, of maniacs who hate religious people. My guess is Senator Hirono is more than happy to play that role. Other Democrats are going to try their best to, to stifle her and to try to, you know, keep her. Because if you're Joe Biden, right now you're leading the polls. You're on the glide path to victory. You just need nothing to screw this up for the next, you know, six weeks or so. You just need, or two months, really. You just need just a little bit more time to, to let things go smoothly. So you're desperately hoping the Senate Democrats don't create this giant embarrassment that stirs up Republicans and gets them super motivated right before Election Day. Will this work? I don't know how this is going to shake out. But if you're the Democrats, you've almost got the presidency. And once you've got the president, you might win the control of the Senate on, in November. So at that point, all right, you know, it's Breyer's going to retire sometime soon. Uh, Clarence Thomas is 72. Uh, Alito is 70. You're going to have chances to replace new, new Supreme Court justices. You're going to have this. Why would you risk it by going on some, you know, uh, to, to placate the Twitter left? 
by acting like maniacs about Barrett. But I, we'll see if they, get to, they can resist step, this temptation, Greg. Right now, I'm betting against. Well, assuming they actually show up for the hearings, because we've heard about that, and I think just about every Democrat has already said they're not going to support it. So at this point, I'm not really sure what the point of the hearings are, since she's just been vetted a couple of years ago for the appellate court. But let's assume that the, that the hearings go forward. If you're a conservative, there's no one on the Democratic side you would rather have leading uh, any sort of pejorative attack than Maisie Hirono, not only because any attack of that sort is likely to backfire, but she is clearly the one on that side of the dais with the least amount of mental candle power. Uh, there are other people out there who are total demagogues, but they're fairly smart and they can they can present it in a much more palatable way to some people. Maisie Hirono is not that person. I assume Kamala is going to show up in grandstand and uh, just epic ways. And I'm sure Cory Booker is going to do the same thing. Uh, so it's going to be an ugly couple of days. Uh, obviously, they're going to hammer her and trying to pin her down on, on Roe v. Wade and on uh, the ACA and, and a whole bunch of other things. And Starry decisis will be talked about a lot, but uh, in the end, for all the Sturm and Drang, uh, it's, it's unlikely to change much, and uh, we'll get the hearings the week of the 12th, and uh, out of committee by the 26th, and possibly a vote by election day. Nothing like cutting it close there, Chip. Well, the first thought, Greg, is like, if, if I'm Senate Republicans on that panel, please boycott. Please give us just hours and hours of us asking questions of Barrett with no hostile questions, no opposition research, no counter arguments, just, just uh, a couple hours and hours of cable news having a pleasant conversation between the senators who all like her and the nominee who's just, just perfect the way she is. Please stay away, Democrats. <laughs> I can't believe they actually contemplate that. But the next thing is, you're right, on Hirono, we should just make a blanket statement for policy here at the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Greg and I vehemently oppose demagoguery. But if you're going to do it, do it well. <laughs> we really oppose amateurish, clumsy demagoguery. So, uh, and that's, that's the Hironi, <laughs> Senator Hirono's signature there. Uh, yeah, like I can't believe uh, Democ that, that Democrats would be dumb. But apparently, maybe they will. Maybe they will. I mean, here's the thing. If you're the Democrats, the wisest move is to, you know, try to nail her down on Roe v. Wade. Try to nail her down. If you can point to cases, decisions she's made where she'll, you know, was out of step, fine. Go ahead. Go into this knowing you're probably going to lose. So just try to make, you know, do, do what Republicans did with Sotomayor and Kagan. You try to make it as easy for your side to vote no. You try to make it as hard for the other side to vote yes. You recognize you're not going to win, but that's, you, you don't do the crazy stuff like you did against Kavanaugh. You take the L on that, but you take the win on the election because that's the bigger deal. But what do I know, Greg? You got to hand it to Mitch. You know, the night that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, you already had Collins and Murkowski out there saying, this is too close to an election. I don't like the idea of filling this seat. And then Mitch, I don't even know if he did it on camera or he just did it on a phone call. He just goes in there with one sentence saying, keep your powder dry. And then yes. all of a sudden, yes. everybody's back in line. It's amazing. Well, uh, look, I mean, you know, this, you know your traditional format, uh, which I actually, by the way, really could get done, not just, not just before election day, but before... Uh, uh, inauguration day, the kind of the expedited, and then there's, I believe, the drive-through option for Senate confirmation of one. So, Amazing. I'd like a Supreme Court justice and a side of fries, please. Last thing before we go, Jim, I know you get the Biden uh, press releases just like I do. Uh, in addition to the lids happening before we go uh, and record each day or just about every day, have you noticed how often uh, Jill Biden and others virtually travel somewhere? That's how they phrase it. She's going to virtually travel to Nevada today or to Wisconsin today. It's like, I mean, that's a fancy way to make a zoom call but uh <laughs> I, i'm not sure why you would put it that way well you know there's a lot of virtual stress with virtual traveling virtual delays 
virtually losing your luggage, getting virtually picked up at the virtual airport. You know, it's like he's a virtual candidate. Yeah, almost like that. Amazing. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our friends over at Gabby. Just take a couple minutes to find out how much you can save on your car and home insurance. Gabby.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are extremely grateful every time we see a kind review and a five-star rating. Also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.